Agnew brings it out of the end zone. Agnew still running. Agnew down the sideline. Agnew. Hello and welcome to the Drunken Jaguar. This is Bentley joined by Ased via a Zoom call after the Jaguars 31-19 loss to the Arizona Cardinals this past Sunday. Is it fair to say that Trevor Lawrence lost the game? It is absolutely unfair to say Trevor Lawrence lost the game for us because his mis- the interceptions, like one, yeah, it was kind of his fault, but really both of them weren't his fault. I know it sounds weird to say. I mean, we know the first one was not his fault, but the second one too, it was a missed block that m- messed up the whole play. It was not Trevor's fault, and I still saw some really positive things. That throw to the end zone to DJ Chark, that was a fantastic throw. That's a high-level throw right there, man. I took the positives out of the game. I'm not looking at it in a negative way. I know we blew the lead. But, you know, you, you got to look at the bright side sometimes, especially when you're an 0-3 team. Well, I mean, let's let's go. Let's kind of break the game down here. The, the Cardinals were the only team to score in the first quarter, so they went up 7-0 on us. The game call on TV, which is how I was watching this game, was headed up by Gus Johnson and Akib Talib, which was a awesome pairing. They were hyping up our defense pretty quickly. And I got to say, man, total confirmation bias here. But, you know, every episode this season, I've said I have been I've had a good time watching the Jaguars defense. All right. So I know the secondary might get burned on different plays. I know there's some moments we're not getting the right amount of pressure onto the quarterback with a defensive line, but I have faith in this defense. And I think they largely showed it against an otherwise very explosive Arizona Cardinals. Is that a, is that a fair thing to say? Did you get that same impression? I did get that same impression, man. I thought the defense played really well. I was very surprised at how they played. There was a few plays where I was like, like what's going on? Uh, if I can recall, like off the top of my head, DeAndre Hopkins caught a screen and ran all the way across the field, man. Like, all the way. It's like sideline to sideline. Yeah, and I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, someone wrap him up. And another one that comes to mind quickly is that jump ball that Kyler Murray underthrows to A.J. Green. It's just lofting in the air. Just lofting. And just falls in A.J. Green's hand. And Tyson Campbell didn't turn his head around and look for it. It was just those two plays, pretty ugly, man. That A.J. Green catch, game commentators are like, you know, he's – He's AJ Green is boxing out Tyson Campbell, boxing him out, boxing him out. And man, same thing, watching it live, it was like playing jackpot 500, right? Kyler Murray just throws that ball up vertically. The thing went way up, and you can just watch it kind of sail down to a, a more or less like stationary AJ Green. Ain't no horizontal, vertical, lateral movement, nothing. He's literally just waiting to catch that thing as the cornerback is. Kind of like trying to jump over his back and then like grab onto his shoulder and kind of like, you know, see if I can sneak around this other way or whatever. It looked like a kid trying to catch something over his dad. And, I, and I'm and i like, God, please tell me this is not Tyson Campbell. Please, for the love of God, tell me this is not Tyson. I, I like Tyson Campbell. I want to like Tyson Campbell. And the second they show another angle of that catch, number 32, Tyson Campbell just f***ing trying to piggyback A.J. Green, who who hauls in the, the pass. That was straight up uh, embarrassing, but 
It's a learning moment, man. Come on. I mean, he's going to grow through this, right? I see the potential in him, too. I, I hope you do, too. But I see it, man. And I think that has something to do with, you know, the move that happened. I'm not sure. But, you know, we're, we're going to talk about that move in a second. But not too bad for the defense. And our boy Dewey got an interception, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. If you if you, if you you didn't watch the game, I mean, it's just like every other game, right? Like we a typical Jaguars game, Andrew Wingard had a crucial interception. Uh, you know, Taven Bryan was out there dishing out sacks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one last note for me about the defense. I thought when we scored to go up 19, was it 19 to 7? Mm-hmm, something like that. When we gave the ball back to them, they scored in a hurry. Like, it felt like a minute and a half I turned around and they were already in the end yeah. zone. That can happen. Third quarter. Yeah. So so basically what happens is the Cardinals go up 7 nothing first quarter score. We come back in the second quarter, and our defense holds them to, to nothing. A lot of that's possession on our, on our side. So we have a nice uh, offensive touchdown. It's important to distinguish in this game because there were, there were touchdowns scored by non-offensive players um, on more than one occasion. And then uh, just a, a, a play that will go down in Jaguars history. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't amount to a victory. We thought it was sending, a, sending us uh, that way. Jamal Agnew lining up to receive a 68-yard field goal attempt by the Cardinals. So this is the, had he had the, their kicker made this 68-yarder, it would have set a record uh, for, for him. But Agnew's sitting back there waiting just in case it falls short to try to return it. Now, Agnew had a kick return for touchdown against the Broncos last week. And this guy, you know, as they as they say, he's just like oozing confidence out there, literally on camera, hyping up the crowd before the kick attempt. Incredible. <laughs> receives the receives the kickoff. Uh, sorry, the kickoff, right? The missed field goal. It falls short. He grabs it towards the back of the end zone. I mean, we're like, we're lucky it was it was still returnable. And proceeds to, as in the words of Asad Hassan here, <laughs> miss that first tackle, you know, you got a chance. And miss that second tackle, that's when you know he he might be gone. And and he he broke a legitimate tackle, right? Like he had a guy coming kind of horizontally. One of the funny things, by the way, if you get to watch this, and, and for some reason the network kept playing the replay from the like opposite end zone perspective, not an actual horizontal uh, field camera, right? So, so it's kind of... Uh, you know, when, when they, especially when they have like a longer focal length lens, things kind of feel sandwiched. So you're kind of watching him just kind of move a little bit to the left and right on your screen as he's kind of running at you, you know, a little Easter egg. If you watch that again, you will notice Andrew Wingard just floating from the left to the right of the screen, not touching anyone, nothing, just floating like in the middle of the play. <laughs> so, so that's my gift to you, Jaguars fans, is to go back and rewatch that replay from the same angle that was on the broadcast and see if you can spot Wingard just kind of like hovering, like the little, the little uh, blonde ghost that he is, like from left side of the screen to the right. Um, but Agnew, you know, breaks tackle, and you can you can already you can already feel this this might be a score. And Gus Johnson did not disappoint. Did not. Oh my God, he was he was calling it halfway through the kick. I mean, we had like a Agnew br- brings it out of the end zone, Agnew. Still running! Agnew! Down the sideline! Agnew! Run, love! I mean, it was almost like a metal concert, bro. It was, it was just getting the crowd hyped up, man. Like the, the halftime show, all the national broadcasters were... I don't know if they were more excited about Agnew's record-setting 109-yard kick six 
return or or Gus Johnson's calling of that return. What a moment. How did it feel watching that shit, man? It felt amazing. I, I mean, I don't want to be the guy that said, like, I thought he was going to return it to the house. But the first thing I said when Matt Prater lined up was, I was like, I hope Jamal Agnew's back there. And when he touched that ball, I was like, there's a real chance. I mean, if you watch football, you know that when a team is kicking a field goal, they have mostly linemen and like so you're slower guys, you know, bunch of linemen and then you have your holder and then your kicker. Right. So you have an advantage if you get the ball, no matter what, because you got a lot of slow guys out there. But it was just an amazing moment and one of the best voices in all of sports to listen to a call from Gus Johnson. He just killed it, man. And it felt amazing. I was jumping up and down, running around. And I just love Jamal Agnew already. Just a great moment. If we could have won the game, it would have been amazing. And it's not just a moment that will go down in Jaguars history. It'll go down in NFL history. Yeah, so definitely a bright spot for us. You know, I feel, man, I feel like we got a superstar on the team that we're really not playing at his level. It's embarrassing to go uh, two back-to-back touchdown return games and and not have the, in my opinion, the offense to to even remotely match that. That was that is kind of sad. I hope I hope Agnew can still keep taking him to the house for us, even when we're losing games. Though. Yeah, two in the first three weeks, man. That's inc- that's unheard of. I have a feeling that won't be his last one this season. And then speaking of interesting uh, audio here, we got the Whirly Bird play. So this is as the, the I would say momentum still mostly with the Jaguars who went into the half with the lead. We were doing our best to kill our own momentum. I mean, one of my jokes was gonna be. The Jaguars lost to Josh Lambeau <laughs> this week, 31-19, <laughs> right? Because Lambeau misses two extra point attempts in a row. I mean, not that the six points isn't nice, but it's uh, it's a really big slap in the face to the team to not be able to put in that extra point. And you you know what? You miss an extra point, you know, in one or two regular season games, fine. That's part of the point, pun intended, that the NFL has been going for the last few years is to make them missable. I mean, they are, they're not the chip shot that they, that they once were, but to miss two in a row like that is uh, now I can really see it. I love Josh Lambeau, but I can really see how it's a momentum killer and it's really bad for the team's energy to, to have that happen twice in a row like that. Um, the Jaguars uh, allow a pretty quick Cardinals march down the field in the third quarter they bring it a lot closer, and then when we got the ball back, uh, and, and now infamous flea flicker, um, Trevor Lawrence had called, I don't know if it was an audible, if he was just like adding to the play that was already called, but Whirly Bird. Whirly Bird! Whirly Bird! That either refers to Andrew Norwell doing a spin move as a f-ing offensive <laughs> lineman, or like the flea flicker nature of the play or something. But what happens is, is J.J. Watt, I think, gets past Norwell, and applies pressure to a Lawrence who had already given the ball away and then received it back in a toss on like an old school flea flicker. Uh, Gus Johnson and, and Akeem Talib rubbed it the f- in <laughs> again and again and again that like DJ Chark was was wide open, middle of the field, down the field. Not enough time to just plant his foot and launch that ball. And this is where I'm arguing Lawrence, I'm making that you know provocative argument that Lawrence lost us the game here is that he tries to still make a play just off to the sideline, right? Something that's not really going to pick up too many yards, nothing, throws it off the wrong foot, pass gets intercepted, and instead it's a pick six, essentially a game-sealing or game-changing moment for us. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, if you look at flea flickers, it's 
similar to sometimes teams, oh, the Browns do this a lot, where they'll run play action and they'll have everyone in pass, pass protection and kind of have a two-man route. I mean, a flea flicker is just a one-man route, man. That thing is designed to go deep, right? It was designed to go to DJ Chark. I heard some, you know, people talking shit that didn't actually see the play, you know, like why would he throw it to the side? Well, he had no time. He was on his back foot. Yes, he should have got rid of the ball. Or yes, I mean, the smart thing would have been to take the sack, you know, when the protection broke down. But if Andrew Norwell picks up that block and he has a second to plant his feet and launch that ball down the field, we win this football game, man. That's it. It's that simple. And on top of that, the first interception, Jacob Hollister, like we we get all the way to the red zone, which Jaguars fans aren't very used to in the first place. And then for a ball to go right off your hands on a good throw and to get intercepted, it's just a killer. Things like this is how bad teams continue to lose games. Yeah, you, you kind of give me hope here because each game that we've lost recently, you're, 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 you're able to uh, reel it back to one, mo- one or two moments that are really big game changers. But I got to agree with you on this one. It was, I mean... And you're maybe a first reaction to say, wow, how could they run this flea flicker? People were saying you don't need to do that. You already had a successful run game in the previous drive. Just run it down their throats. You got the lead still, whatever, whatever. But yeah, we would have we would have scored on a gorgeous touchdown. And, and they would there would have been a different story at the end of that game had that play actually gone according to plan. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, that game might have been a wrap at that point, to be honest. That's how big. That play was, and I think that's what made the flea flicker such a good call, Bentley, is because we did establish that run in the last drive. We ran it down their throat. That was actually probably my favorite drive of the year so far for the Jaguars. James Robinson was getting the ball. The holes were opening up. He had some fantastic runs. I really liked that drive, and it was good to see James Robinson get the ball as well. Even Carlos had Hyde. God damn it. Even Carlos Hyde. Sorry. Even Carlos Hyde had some nice runs but we were clearly at least starting off the first half dishing the ball out a lot heavier a lot more equally distributed to the running game and that includes uh, more carries by James Robinson so yeah I mean we are correcting a lot of the things that we've had to work on so far this season still still can't pull off that win but I feel like it might be coming close I would say so it it feels like we are so close man but I don't want to say that too early because, you know, next game you can go out and, you know, it's a week-to-week league. It could be a totally different game next week. So, I don't know, man. It, feel, it feels like we're close. I saw some positive things. I couldn't, you know, keep my head down after, after we lost that game because I felt like we played well enough to win. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down, we break down who will be cutting, cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. 
It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snacket. We're talking about big time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, you ready for some more uh, projections here? Stat projections, completely like meaningless, but a uh, fun thing to speculate about? Oh, yeah. We're, what are we at now? All right, so our main man, Trevor Lawrence, has 669 yards on the season, meaning he's averaging 223 per game. Pretty low, right? And some of that... I mean, let's be real, this is kind of like garbage time, padded padded yardage there. But if the pattern continues, Lawrence will finish the season with 3,791 yards. Okay, okay. His five touchdowns at the moment, not too high, would come in around 28 TDs. 28 TDs. Okay, are you still with me? Still with me? You li- are you like, are these stats okay so far? Are they okay? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to have 40 interceptions. All right. Well, that one, that one I cannot stand behind. There's way too many interceptions. It's just interceptions are such a funny stat, too, because how many were his fault? Sure, a lot in the first game and the second game, too. But this game, I'm a little more forgiving. James Robinson won't break 1,000 yards as it stands, but if they continue running him like they did this last game, uh, he, he has a much better chance. Uh, okay, how about this? Here's a little uplifting one, and this one seems like this might be a fair pattern to project here. Marvin Jones is on pace for 96 receptions on the season. I mean, I don't see that slowing down as long as he can stay healthy, you know. And as you know, he's already he's already scored, uh, you know, a couple touchdowns here, so he he might have over 10 TDs for the season, and that that would go for DJ Charkis if he's still making strides here, but. There's quite a bit of uh, separation in terms of receptions in total. Marvin Jones got 17. Chark only seven for the season so far. Wow. Yeah. Big plays, though, that Chark has made, though. Yeah, that's true. Miles Jack, mm. if the season were to continue as it has, Miles Jack would be in the 140 tackle range. Um, Damien Wilson and then everybody's favorite, Andrew Wingard, are right after him on that stat category. Okay. Which they should be, given their position. You know, Miles Jack has actually kind of disappointed me this year. I think he's regressed a little bit, man. I had, you know, I was very pissed off when he wasn't on the top 100, but he's not playing like a top 100 player or one of the best linebackers in the league either. Josh Allen, though, continues this rate of sacks. I mean, you know, he'll come in at over 10 sacks, which which would be interesting. And then a stat that that shouldn't surprise anyone here is that if the season were to continue at the current rate, our man Andrew Wingard will achieve six interceptions. Pro Bowl numbers, leverage. You thought we might cut him. Looks like we'll be tra- trading him out for a first rounder someday. Dewey, bring it, bring in the dew, doing the dew for us here. So, um, oh, I said I have one more stat for you. Oh boy. If the season were to continue as it has, the Jaguars, veteran kicker, former FC Dallas goalkeeper, Josh Lambeau, <laughs> would make zero field goals. Oh, 
yeah, well, he probably won't even be on the team by that point. I think th- this will be his last chance this coming up week. Oh, he still has one because they, man, Gus Johnson was getting hard on him. He's like, yeah, this guy's going to be looking for a job in about an hour and a half. Yeah, but I think because of his success in the past few years and what he's done for the Jaguars, I think they will give him one last chance for sure. And they'll tell him ahead of time. I think they have the respect for him to say, you know, you know, if this keeps up literally next game, don't miss or else you're gone. Yeah, yeah. They've they've already signed uh, an extra kicker to the practice squad here. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, special teams looking nice. You know, the Jaguars uh, bragging this week that they have the best punter in the league with Logan Cook, who's just booming out a net average of 46.3 yards on those punts. And then, you know, I guess it's only fair that Jamal Agnew is is on pace for like, you know, 11 kick return touchdowns. Yeah. That won't happen, but wow. Insane, man. Insane. Would you like to see him on the offensive side of the ball a little bit? Because he's listed as a wide receiver. He's played some running back in his career. Detroit used to use him a little bit in their passing game. I don't want to risk injuries. And I also like him being just solid all around. Like, I don't want him to have tape that makes him not look good. I want him to scare the shit out of opposing teams. We talked about it last week, how... He, if he's like a liability, that he can return literally any returnable, non-fair catch, punt, kick, I guess, field goal, that has to factor in how that other team game manages. I mean, obviously, if given a second chance, they would have punted instead of trying for a field goal that time. Literally. Dude, that's, I think it's bigger than we think. I think there's even score scenarios. I mean, I'm no coach here, but there's got to be this thing where if if they're only up like three or four and they have a fourth down kind of in that punt range versus going for it, I wonder if their numbers will say, I mean, if you combine the fact that Agnew could take your punt back, that you might want to start going for it. So people might start playing a riskier game if they're in that kind of like edge of field goal range, but not quite kind of thing, which may play into our favor. I might be talking out of my here but i feel like there's some kind of like intimidation factor that would uh, hopefully get into opposing coaches minds yeah i think maybe not as far as kicking field goals because it was first of all it was a bizarre choice to even try a 68 yarder most coaches would not let their kicker come out and do that even though matt prater has a huge leg we've seen in denver as well and he set records himself and maybe not so much with kickoffs but in the punt game for sure maybe the punter has to punt it away from the returner, which can mess up the punt, or try to pin them out of bounds. And, you know, if you punt it out of bounds, wherever that ball is in the air and it goes out of bounds, you know, that's where you take the ball. So that can mess that up. Or you have to do a sky punt where you have to punt the ball really high in the air, you know, to give your coverage team a little more time to get down there. Things like that, I think, will factor in. I said before we head off here today, I think it would be only fair to talk about a huge trade that happened. Uh, we hinted at it earlier in the episode. Our first round pick from 2020, at was it pick number nine, C.J. Henderson, cornerback, who we've we've <laughs> we've had our questions about throughout this time. We kind of made fun of his reaction on draft day to being chosen by the Jaguars. He had some kind of a standoffish moment with the coaching staff this offseason where he wasn't showing up for practice. He's gone and has been traded to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for tight end Dan Arnold, which is unfortunate for Panthers fans because 
they've uh, apparently just eaten up the whole Darnold to Arnold connection, or I guess the chance to just say that. The Jaguars trading C.J. Henderson to the Panthers for tight end Dan Arnold. The Jaguars get a, a 2022 third-round pick, but they let go of a 22 fifth-rounder. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened? You know what? I cannot even tell you what the hell happened. It must have been some kind of miscommunication. I don't know if Urban and C.J. Henderson didn't get along. It's just so weird to me because, you know, at the end of last season, coming into this season and throughout most of the offseason, I mean, I was under the impression Sidney Jones and C.J. Henderson would be our two starting cornerbacks, and they're both gone. Just freaking crazy, man. I guess we weren't surprised. You did call it, though. You had a feeling C.J. Henderson would be gone here pretty soon, and off he goes. But we got to move on, man. I think they trust Tyson Campbell at this point, and they're going to let him play. And Rayshon Jenkins did say today, he's like, I think we have everything we need here. I know, you know, players just say things like that, but we're just going to go with it, man. And off he goes. And another Jaguar drafted early, gone. Yeah, you know, not to brag or anything. And you know what? If you, if you know me, most of my takes are, are the the coldest, the chill, chillest, frozen cold takes uh, that, that don't come true. But I got the sense that Henderson wasn't happy at the Jaguars. And we ran a poll. This is about a month ago. So on Twitter, on our handle, at Dragwar, we ran a poll asking, does C.J. Henderson finish this season as a Jaguars starting cornerback? 70% of people said, yes, duh, with 30% saying, no way in hell. And it looks like the no way in hells are right. Yeah. It's nuts, man. No one saw it coming. I didn't see it coming, for sure. Tell me some, what would you like about C.J. Henderson you're going to miss? What am I going to miss about C.J. Henderson? Bentley, to be honest, not really that much because he was only here for a year and he was hurt most of last season anyways. I'm not going to miss much. I'm going to miss the the draft pick we wasted for sure. I mean, you know, we have to compare him to Jalen Ramsey because he was drafted the the draft immediately after Ramsey left to the Rams. Uh And he, he showed in the first game against the Colts in 2020, and he's shown it since then, an ability to be a, a shutdown cornerback. He, I feel like in terms of his physicality and, and and his football knowledge, more or less, like definitely gives me those vibes. But the thing that's missing when you compare him to Ramsey, ah, man, I mean, not to like attack his personality, but it's that enthusiasm, man. It's like, I mean, Ramsey, by the time he was end of his rookie year, was already kind of notorious around the league for being a an arrogant trash talker. And those are beautiful qualities if you're a cornerback. Yes, they are. They really are. I'm not surprised that this happens. And and if, if Rayshon Jenkins is going to respond to it like that, then you can imagine that locker room is probably happy on this trade. And that there's a there's definitely something in the in the uh, psychological realm for the players that to get to basically to get rid of this guy that that maybe just wasn't fitting into the system that well. Agreed. And I mean, on the other side of things, I know we could have got Dan Arnold for very, very, very cheap. You know, he was a free agent this last offseason. I know a lot of Jaguars fans are a little upset about that. Looking at like Twitter, just reading stuff today. But, you know, we have a tight end and we have not used a tight end really at all this year, like to do anything. They haven't been very productive. So maybe this could be a positive thing. Who knows? Maybe Dan Arnold could develop into, you know, a trusty target for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, obviously that can't say no to that. 
uh, speaking of uh, <laughs> uh, what this could mean for the offense, well, we get a chance to see it uh, front and center. And apparently, Urban Meyer says Dan Arnold's going to play on Thursday night against the Bengals. So this Thursday night, as devoted Jaguars fans, uh, I said we'll be at a concert and I will be at a film festival. I guess like rudely watching from our phones uh, or maybe watching the the tape delay later on. But we get some football right right immediately. <laughs> we'll turn around to feed the addiction. And then, of course, there's that bleak 10 days without football afterwards. But we won't even think about that for now. What What are you excited for the Jaguars for this Thursday? What do you think could happen that hasn't happened so far this season? First of all, there's a great story behind this game, as I'm sure most football fans know. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and Joey Burrow went at it in the national championship, I believe, in 2019. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2019. You know, they went head to head. They were known as, you know, the two best quarterbacks in college football. And Joey Burrow got the best of them. And the LSU team was stacked. I think maybe, you know, it's a little revenge game for Trevor Lawrence. He wants to get Joey Burrow back a little bit. I know they have a great amount of respect for each other, but I'm excited to watch two really, really good young quarterbacks just go at it, man. Two number one picks. It's it's going to be a fun time. That Cincinnati Bengals defense, man, looks awfully good. I watched a lot of that game as one of my friends, a Bengals fan, I was watching with him at a bar. So I was watching the Jags and he was watching the Bengals. We were right next to each other. I was like, the Bengals look pretty damn good. And Joey Burrow's still got his connection with Jamar Chase. We went to college with, they look good, man. The Bengals look like they, they have potential, man. Like this team could be a lower seeded playoff team this year. Seriously. I think they have that much potential and their defense really does look like the truth. So it might be a tough test for Trevor, but I'm excited, man. It's a short turnaround. It's going to be a fun game. I know that stadium will be rocking. Yeah. uh, Super exciting. You know, Bengals coming off a win against Pittsburgh. And this is like you mentioned, a matchup, not just of these uh, back-to-back number one, uh, number one picks as, as quarterbacks, but also a rematch of that national championship game, which took place in, in 2020, uh, but right after the 2019 season. Oh, okay. So, okay. There, uh, there you have it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Anything pre-pandemic, man, uh, don't blame you. Don't blame me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I'm going to be watching the game anyways at Red Rocks. So I'm going to be at a beautiful venue, one of the most beautiful in this country, just soaking it in. But still looking at my phone, I will be watching the game, though. I live. I don't care. I have to. Let's pull out a win, man. I just want to win a game. I'm tired of losing. I was screaming at the bar on Sunday. I was like, I'm tired of losing. Even when we were winning. That's all I was screaming. I'm I'm pumped. I'm, I can't believe I get to, you know, hit that hit that uh, Jaguars joint before uh, next Sunday. This is, this is a nice little midweek treat it is always a treat man it's what we call it is a half primetime game an early thursday night one hopefully it goes better than last thursday night thank you for listening to the drunken jaguar this is an sb nation and big cat country podcast as always you can find us on twitter at drunken Dragwar. feel free to engage with us on social media and to write a review as well on the apple podcast app well hoping for good stuff this week man thanks for joining man yeah go jaguars go jaguars
bird. <laughs> Where are the bird? Famous last words. Yeah, I know. God damn. It should have been a touchdown, though. That's what's pissing me off still. What's Andrew Norwell doing? So didn't even know the play. <laughs>